Winter was here, but we are just getting started on the Game of Thrones post-show recap, a rewatch of season six, episode three of Game of Thrones, Oathbreaker. And now here are the uh, two men who have conversations in uh, not super elegant rooms. I am Rob Sestrino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I am well. I'm not going to be doing great if you're expecting me to kiss the ring. I'm not going to yeah. do that. I, I didn't want to disparage your room. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, we're well past that point, I think, in our <laughs> podcasting relationship. Your room is is fine. It's it's fine. I know. How's my room compared to my hat? No, your hat your hat is fine too. Uh, <laughs> that's a conversation for another podcast. But sure. uh, Josh, here we are to talk about the third episode of season six of Game of Thrones, the Oathbreaker. Yes, and our first episode of season six with a fully alive Jon Snow back from the great beyond where there is so much nothing. Uh, and here we are in this episode where there's also a decent amount of nothing, at least as the, as far as certain <laughs> stories are, are concerned. There's some fun stuff in here for sure, but I think season six is, is still just like moving slower <laughs> than, than remembered. I, yeah. I don't remember season six being so slow. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could do a whole walled off on uh, the title of the episode, Oathbreaker. Yes, I feel like you could as well. <laughs> yes. But again, that is for another That's podcast. That's for another time. Uh, yes. All right. So we left things off in the last episode where Jon Snow had uh, come back from the dead. And Josh, that, that's where this episode picks up. Yeah, it picks up immediately uh, from that moment where Jon Snow is rising from the table and he's still pale as a ghost with ghost nearby. And Davos is now uh, hip to the fact that Jon Snow is alive. And I would love to know like what the mechanics were for Davos to suddenly be aware that Jon Snow was alive. Was it that Jon's gasp? at the end of episode two of season six was so loud <laughs> that Davos overheard it where like he had like himself a little bit of a scare, like a little bit of a jump scare. Like, Oh my God, I think he's breathing yeah. in the other room. And Davos runs back in like, Holy shite. Whoa, guys, guys, <laughs> get in here. You're not going to believe this. Yeah. I just want to know exactly how that played out. Uh, but we get this whole scene of Jon Snow coming back from the dead He's very scared. He's moving very slowly and awkwardly as if he's learning to walk again for the first time. Um, And he remembers everything. And Mm -hmm. everything includes a lot of nothing as well. Yeah. You would think that maybe somebody might have got him a towel or a robe also. Well, don't they? But they they give him a blanket uh, fairly Eventually. quickly. I feel Eventually, like. yeah, yeah. But, but again, I think everyone's just so shocked. They're so shocked, and they're also shocked for people who like. This shouldn't be like a complete surprise for them, right? Otherwise, why did they go through the whole <laughs> exercise of trying to bring him back from the dead in the first place? We if didn't that's think what it were, was going to work. Yeah, if that's what you were trying to do, shouldn't you have been prepared for the fact that this was a an outcome? That not only was this a possible outcome, that this was the desired outcome. So Jon Snow died. He is back. 
Josh, I, I do like how they uh, talk about the Jon Snow coming back from the dead in terms of that Jon Snow doesn't know why this happened. And where I, I think that if, like from a narrative perspective, it's like, ho, ho, you, that, that he must be special. But Jon, Jon Snow doesn't really look at it that way. And he has, still has a lot of self-doubt in terms of not that he came back to life. I mean, I think that he should think that that was pretty awesome. But the fact that he what he he was trying to do he was trying to do the right thing and then his own men killed him right yeah he's he's very pained by all of this he's very upset by all this he has like these knife wounds in his chest which are very surprising uh and he goes through the whole they stabbed me ollie put a knife in my art i shouldn't be here he's just very very angsty emo john snow right away extra Gosh. emo Shades of the Crow with Jon Snow here, uh, you know, coming back from the dead and it can't rain all the time and all of that. But I don't know. I maybe like this less than I than I did back then, uh, back when this was first airing, when it was just kind of like, all right, sweet Jon Snow back in the game and we're just going to move forward with this and it's going to be fantastic. And we no longer have to play this silly game of is he or is he not coming back from the dead? We now know the fact that he is he is back. But to to this date through seven seasons of the show, uh, you know, a full season and change past this point of Jon Snow's resurrection. What was the point? What was the point of any of it? You know, mm-hmm. why why did we go through all of this? Is it literally just so he can be released yes. from the Night's Watch? Is that the only yes. reason that Jon Snow dies and comes back to life? It's literally just to free him up in the story that he doesn't have to stay chained to the Night's Watch. Was there not another way of doing that? No. Is there no other side effect from him dying and coming back and, you know, having some sort of new perspective on things? it's just it's it's so like what we bought for the cost it's just i don't think (laughs) even a little bit worth it what does davos want john to do now davos came to uh the the castle black uh to recruit john and the wildlings to come and fight alongside stannis in the meantime stannis's forces have been wiped off the map what what is davos pushing john to do i it's hard to say i mean i think that davos the the whole reason why everybody went to the wall in the first place from the stannis camp is because davos was the one who really encouraged them that there's some stuff that's going on north of the wall that we really got to start paying attention to so i think davos was an early adopter of the possibility of the White Walker threat at the very least. Uh, And we know that he is going to ultimately be somebody who's very much on board with that possible reality that the army of the dead is coming. So I wonder how much that is playing a factor in things for Davos right now. I can't imagine it's playing a huge role for him right now. There's just a little bit of like an aimlessness to, to Davos that feels I don't know. I don't I don't want to say unearned, but it's also it's just it's it just feels kind of disconnected from the character we've been charting across the seasons to this point Um, Mm -hmm. to the point of him being the guy who is the champion of let's bring Jon Snow back from the dead. Uh, This whole arc with Davos becoming Jon's number one guy, it doesn't really fully compute for me. 
I'm happy for it to exist because I think that they're a great combination of characters together. It's just a little hard to see exactly like where that connection was made. Yeah, I do like the line where Jon Snow is talking about how, you know, he uh, Davos says to him, uh, you know, what does it matter? Go on, fight for as long as you can clean up as much of the shite as you can. And Jon Snow says, "I, I don't know how to do that. I thought I did, but I failed. And Davos says, good. Now go fail again. Yeah, go fail again. Why don't you give him something a little more encouraging than that? Like. Well, then don't fail this time. Yeah. All right. Well, I've got this plan for the Battle of the Bastards. I've been thinking about like, good. That sounds terrible. Yeah. So Jon Snow comes out and then is uh, greeted by the Men of the Night's Watch for the first time, who are are pretty, pretty amazed about all of this. Uh, Jon has a great scene with Tormund here, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Where Tormund's like, they think you're some kind of god, the man who returned from the dead. Uh, and John says he's not a god And Tormund goes I know that I saw your pecker What kind of god would have a pecker That small Oh Tormund We can't all be giants Banes Tormund yeah. Come on Yeah come on Not everybody uh, drinks from the carpenter's cup Okay Is that ca- is that canon now that Jon Snow is like Poorly endowed or are we supposed to Look at that from Tormund's perspective And like anyone who isn't Tormund Or one one is poorly endowed Yeah Egret uh, seemed to ha- uh, Have no problem uh, Described uh, his manhood As beautiful Right. Uh, you know Jon Snow was dead It was cold uh, <laughs> <laughs> the blood he lost a lot of blood <laughs> right 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 you know uh it's just a, a very funny uh exchange between these these two old bros who uh you know they've they've gone through a lot together in in the last season and a half or so uh like you know in the beginning of season five they weren't on the best of terms then John really proved himself to Tormund. Then John died and came back to life. And I think even Tormund has to respect that. You know, I think at this point, that's going to really uh, escalate things from like a casual acquaintance to a business partner and colleague to just straight up bros. I think they are now outright friends at this point. Okay. Uh, we see the reunion between John and Ed. Right. Uh, and Ed uh, coming for my wig here uh, <laughs> where he says to John, so your eyes are still brown. Is that still you in there? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's the in-universe explanation for that of like, oh, you haven't gone all white on us. Like you haven't turned into uh, one of the minions of the White Walker army because you don't have those frosty blue tipped eyes. Uh <laughs> But is it also just a shout out to all of I think us? It's a shout out. Conspiratorial idiots like myself. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's check in with Sam and Gilly. And they are on a boat and they are headed towards Old Town, uh, seemingly headed uh, direction south at the very least. And it is a rocky uh, sea today. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sam, watch your back. There's no medics on the ship who can who can help you if you if you hit it just so. Um, wow. Yeah, he's like he's getting very vomitous. He's not mm-hmm. feeling well. The the motion sickness is real for Samuel Tarley. 
Yeah. And I don't know if we uh, need to stop down too much here with Sam and Gilly. On we, the don't, boat. we don't. We don't. We don't. We definitely don't. But uh, the bullet point version of this is that uh, Sam is uh, not taking Gilly and young Sam to Old Town, that he is taking them to his family's house at Horn Hill. Yes, they're going to Horn Hill. Uh, I feel safer with you being there. My father's a jerk, but my mom is fantastic, and my sister is great as well, and they're going to take care of you. And Gilly is not thrilled about this because they had the whole wherever you go, I go to uh, packed. And Sam is saying, like, I just said that so you'd come with me, so, you'd, so you would leave. Uh, I lied to you, Gilly. I lied to you. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I just, yeah. wanted, I just wanted you to feel protected. Okay. All right. So let's get into something a little more uh, substantive. And that is what's going on uh, in the past at the Tower of Joy. Yes. Uh, I'm enjoy this scene. I I know you will. Uh, Tower of Joy uh, is obviously we've we've covered this in previous podcasts before uh, when we were watching this as it was happening live. Uh, Very beloved scene in the A Song of Ice and Fire community. Uh, A mythical moment where Ned Stark has his last stand against the against the remaining members of Rhaegar Targaryen's Kingsguard and Arthur Dane is there and it's very cool and to see this scene come to life was I think something that few people were expecting we would ever get to see on Game of Thrones proper Uh, and to get it here was really really neat and to get it in this context too of Bran is tripping down the time stream basically and getting to see all of Westeros's greatest hits uh, was was a nice little bonus as well and the scene is still is still very cool I think uh, watching this a couple of years later I think that this is one of the better scenes of the episode for sure so the setup here is this is post uh, battle at the Trident and uh, Rhaegar has fallen. The Mad King has fallen and basically the war is over and uh, Ned is on the hunt to uh, bring uh, Liana home. And ultimately, we show up here at the Tower of Joy, which is being guarded by one of uh, Rhaegar's top guys, Sir Arthur Dane. The Sword of the Morning. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, is his sword called the Sword of the Morning, or it's, he is called the Sword of the Morning? He is the Sword of the Morning. The sword is Dawn. <laughs> the sword is called Dawn. It's real. And it is uh, allegedly, I believe it is made from like uh, a fallen, like the material is like made from like a fallen star or a comet or something. That's how mm. the, the legend goes, whether or not there's any truth to it. And a lot of people uh, in the book reading community think that Dawn is going to eventually play a major role in the future of the series. And here it is on the show itself, whether or not it's going to play a role on the show moving forward. I have a hard time picturing the mechanics of how such a thing would work unless like while Jamie Lannister is on his way to join the army that's going to battle the White Walkers, he like makes a pit stop to Arthur Dane's old home uh, and finds Don. Like, I just don't know how that all processes. So I don't Mm -hmm. think that we'll see much of Don in the future. 
So the legend had been that it was Ned Stark that took down uh, Sir Arthur Dane. Uh, what did Howland Reed get an assist in the legend, Josh? I don't know if he got. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think so. I think Howland Reed was there, but I think that the way that Bran had heard it through most mm-hmm. of his life was was Ned got the killing blow. And I mean, technically, that's true. Technically, Ned kills Arthur Dane, but he is only able to kill Arthur Dane. Because he's uh, all of his friends have been killed, and Arthur Dane is the last of the Kingsguard that is standing. And earlier, it's it's made to to look like Howland Reed had gotten got as well, but he was only uh, it was just a scratch, and he was able to to get behind Arthur Dane and like stab him through the back uh, and really really cripple the man, and that gives Ned the opportunity to kill the guy. So it's a it's a dishonorable way to go for the legendary Arthur Dane. Mm-hmm. And Bran sees all this. There is uh, some debate with the Three-Eyed Raven. This isn't how it happened. Yeah. But Father beat him. And the Three-Eyed Raven says, Diddy. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he's a b- big Diddy fan, the Three-Eyed Raven. <laughs> yeah. Diddy. Uh, I really- <laughs> that was the one. That's it. Diddy. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Um, uh, there's a moment where Bran is like, wait, hold on. He's better than my father. Yeah. And the three-eyed raven is like, far better. Yeah, far much better. More handsome, too. <laughs> I and mean, I, I've seen everything, and that man may be a god as well. <laughs> Your father certainly isn't. I mean, young Ned Stark is no slouch. Well, <laughs> I know things you don't. The three-eyed oh, yeah. raven sees all. All right, so the uh, the battle ends, and Ned and Howland are uh, going to go up to the tower. Uh, Bran really wants to see what's up there, and he and he shouts out to Ned, who seems to have at least heard him. Now, uh, is is Rob Star- Stark born yet? I mean, why, why does Ned respond to Father? I think he's just hearing anybody shouting any word at that moment in time is going to give him pause, right? Mm-hmm. Don't you think, uh, not cat's pause, but like it's going to give him a moment of like, hmm, what was that? What was that noise? Huh. Uh, and he's going to swivel around and he's going to kick the cardboard box and whatever. Uh, I think that he's he's just, you know, he's taken aback. He's startled. He's startled by the sound of anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that it's the word father that, that gets him uh, too hard. But I think that the more important thing to, to talk through, and this is our first time getting to talk it through since seeing The Door, which is just a couple of episodes from now, where we know that Bran is able to interact with the past to some degree that there is some kind of whatever happened happened quality about Bran's trip through the time stream. Uh, So does this mean that Ned Stark had always heard Bran when he was in this moment at the Tower of Joy? Does that just like add another additional layer of spookiness to this whole situation that's going to go down where he's going to see his sister die and he's going to go on to raise her child who's going to be Jon Snow? Um, Is there even more to mine with the fact that Bran is able to do anything like this, that he is this powerful that he can interact with someone from the past? 
Uh, I don't know. I'm going to get a nosebleed if we uh, go any further down this uh, rabbit hole. But I guess the question is, do, are, are we done seeing things from the the past going into season eight? Have we seen everything that we need to see from the past? Or do you feel like that? Is there more to uncover? There's got to be something more with Bran um, and the, like the grand extent of his powers. And I've, I've speculated the idea, and I'm certainly not the pioneer of this idea of Bran hijacking a dragon at sure. some point. Maybe he's the guy that's going to be able to get the undead Viserion back under control or whatever it's going to be. Um, but that's but in is, the present. Exactly. Is there, is there more to do with the past, or was he just the device to get us to the Jon Snow reveal? And if so, why did we have to do the whole Hodor thing and all of this like that just feels like an extra power level that to not use that in some greater capacity i feel like would if not be i don't know if i would say it would be a mistake it actually would probably be fairly in line with game of thrones where i think often game of thrones will lob up these interesting ideas whether they are directly from george r r martin's text or ideas that um that david benioff and dan weiss are considering for future use and as they got further down the line we're like yeah we're not really gonna do a ton with dorn uh or whatever it's gonna be that maybe the time travel stuff with bran is on that list of like yeah we're just running out of time to do stuff um so i think it's not impossible that there isn't going to be like some big to do with bran but one thing that you know may be worth speculating on is there's been this theory of could Bran be Bran the Builder, right? Like this mm-hmm. idea that Bran the Builder, for those who are unfamiliar, is the legendary member of the Stark family who allegedly built the wall uh, using magic and gumption. Uh, and could that man be Bran? Is there a way that like Bran went back in time and warged into somebody and yada, yada, yada. And that feels a little cute, a little complicated. uh, But, you know, this is a show that is often complicated, if not quite cute. And one thing that we do know now, Rob, is that Game of Thrones is going to end in just six episodes. There's six episodes left of season eight, but the franchise will continue in the form of a prequel series that is set thousands and thousands of years before Game of Thrones, theoretically before the wall even exists. Rob, is it possible that we will see Bran as a character on that show could he be brand the builder and he's like the crossover character between game of thrones and whatever the next show is going to be called so we're gonna go all in on isaac hempstead right yeah yeah he's gonna be the lenny james of the game of thrones uh universe give him a stick teach him aikido Uh, (laughs) he's uh, a good kid he's a good young man yeah maybe we do do we want to go maybe it's like what a about a older uh brand you want to age him up? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. Yeah. No, I just think I think it could be interesting. I think it could be interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, build the show around Bran. I, I'm I not about, sure. I'm not yeah. sure about build the show around Bran. I'm saying that he could be a character in common between the two shows. Okay. I don't think for him to be main or even, uh, you know, high secondary character, I'm talking more tertiary character. Sure, he can so. be a guy on the show. Yes, 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 yes. I think that could be fun. That's fine. Uh, but he's not happy to be back with the Three-Eyed Raven. He's like, oh, God, every time we get to something good, 
Yeah, you always you always take take me back here, and the three eyed raven is always like giving him some sort of colorful explanation for why he can't do what he's doing. The past is already written. The ink is dry. He's a good three eyed raven. Yeah. He's a great mm-hmm. three-eyed raven. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. I mean, they got this incredible actor in Max von Sydow to basically just say over and over again, time to go. <laughs> like, it's like all he ever says. Yeah. Bran uh, is like, well, why do I have to even have to stay here with some old guy in a tree? Yeah. You think I want to be here? I'm in such agony with these roots. <laughs> The roots that are growing through me. Yeah. Uh, and basically, uh, he says, that, look, uh, one day you'll leave, but not before you learn everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. All right. Let's go check in with Danny at Vias Dothrak. And, uh, you know, really, you would think that this, you know, former, you know, wives of the fallen uh, calls that they would like uh, treat them a little bit better. But they're really just like, you know, still like uh, pushing her like through the streets. They're not they're not great. And when she gets there, like they're like tearing off her clothes and giving her the vest and everything and just like kind of like giving her a lot of crap for not having come to them sooner. Mm. That I kind of I I accept that a little bit more than the way that she's treated by some of the other Dothraki where for, for these people, it's like. We had to come here. Why don't you get to what, what, what makes you so special? You know, this is, what, what, are you are you just like besmirching our lot in life? Like, are you shaming us for doing the traditional Doge Colleen thing? Why are you so cool that you didn't have to come here? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, we find out that, you know, uh, all of the Kalasar is uh, is is coming in. They're going to bring it in for a big summit. And, and part of that summit is they're going to decide what to do with Danny. Right. That's going to be part of the part of the deal, because there's a lot to be determined here. Yeah. I don't have anything else here with uh, Danny at Vias Dothrak. Anything else you want to highlight? Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> not particularly no not really slow <laughs> slow season six wow <laughs> it's just moving at a snail's pace yeah all right so we have a uh, a rather lengthy scene here uh between Varys and it took me a minute to remember who this was. Uh this is a woman and her name is Vala and she was the woman who slit one of the unsullied throat uh in season 5 that she was the woman I'm, i i guess she was a prostitute who had been secretly working with the sons of the harpy right and uh you know you didn't really get a ton from her in those scenes in terms of like her her abilities as an actor uh you know other than like her in universe abilities as an actor to lull and unsullied into that false sense of security requires some skills uh but i i thought this scene was great yeah Varys i don't know what that's good Varys you know, is good. <laughs> i thought i thought the two of them together I was like oh vala you can you can stay you can hang mm-hmm. you can uh, come come back from i don't think we ever see her again no uh, i did not even remember that this was a scene 
It's a good scene. It's a mm-hmm. good scene in terms of like the list of like kind of nothing scenes of Game of Thrones. This one's really good. Yeah, <laughs> I think a, a big credit to Conleth Hill, of course, but I don't have uh, the name of the actress in front of me. But whoever plays Val, she did a great job. I was very impressed. Yeah, and Varys is trying to get to the bottom of who are you working for? Uh, who's funding the Sons of the Harpy? And she's like, well, I can't really say anything. They'll, ki- they'll kill me. And Varys then uh, brings up about her son, Dom. Yeah, oh man, this must have been triggering for you. <laughs> yes. And so son Dom, he has breathing problems. Uh, Varys has a way out for Vala and her son. If she just tells him what's going on, she, he has a big bag of silver for her. And she ends up revealing that, OK, you want to know who's funding the Sons of the Harpy? It uh, is the uh, the masters in Astapor and in all of say the it, slave say cities it, say the word you want to say say it Yunkai. yeah <laughs> uh and even penthouse so it turns out it was the the masters were behind this the whole time plot twist yeah so i mean i kind of feel like we knew that right yeah yeah i think so i, think I mean it's, it's it shouldn't be like some sort of like ground i mean pentos is a little bit of a surprise uh you know hadn't heard about pentos in terms of that being uh you know any association with slavers bay right yeah look i mean i think everybody knows that the masters are uh are 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 dirty are are trying to to do something illegal here are trying to just fund these sons of the harpy but we still have to go through the legal process anyway of finding out who these people really are so Varys getting to the bottom of it special investigator Varys and he is able to get to the truth of who is funding the sons of the harpy through these kind of shady means of being like you know conjuring the the threat of danger towards her towards her son is uh it's a dirty trick but I mean I guess that's just classic Varys like he's always just able to do the things that no one else is able to do Mm mm-hmm yeah, um, not really sure if uh, Vala was a uh, key cog in the Sons of the Harpies uh, plan and how many Unsullied she was able to lure into uh, her her den to enough, then- enough, <laughs> I guess enough. enough, certainly one, certainly it's it's at least the one, one time. Yeah, I think we saw it with a couple others, too. Wasn't she part of the thing that like kickstarted the the riot that got Barristan killed? So. I think yeah. so. so. OK. All right. So we then spend a lot of time also with Tyrion, Sande, and Grey Worm. And uh, they too are bored. Oh my God. It's so funny. Uh, this, this was, I think it was really funny back when we watched it the first time, probably, but it was especially funny watching this the other day while uh, Tyrion is just like perfectly expressing exactly how I feel about Game of Thrones in this moment where he's like, so what should we do? What what should we do to pass the time? Yeah, while we wait. While we wait <laughs> for the story to move in mm-hmm. a better direction. And it's just like a a total nothing scene. Um, you know, you could you could recast this with Jerry and, you know, you know, Co- you know, Cosmo Kramer could be bursting through the door <laughs> at any second. I think you Jerry from The Walking Dead. <laughs> that would Jerry. be great too. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't think that's what he said. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's just it's a it's a complete nothing scene, and, and you know Tyrion just like trying to like make Grey Worm and Missandei feel awkward 
He's like, what would you be talking about if I weren't here? Grey Worm's like, I don't know. Let's find out. Get out of here, man. You're ruining my style. Yeah. And uh, they're talking there. Memorable line uh, where <laughs> Tyrion is uh, shooting down that uh, Grey Worm saying, well, he would talk about like what's going on with the patrol. Tyrion says that that's a report. Uh, he wants to have a conversation. A wise man once said the truth history of the world is the history of great conversations in elegant rooms. Yes. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. I guess so. Miss um, said, well, who said that? Uh, me. Just now. I said <laughs> it. It was me. <laughs> yeah. Um, we hear about uh, Tyrion proposes, uh, how about a game? Uh, and Grey Worm is like, no, great games are for children. And um, Sunday says, oh, Master Krasnus would make us play uh, games. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Watto. What? What? <laughs> Nubian. We have lots of that. Welcome back. Uh, mercifully, uh, Varys is going to come and uh, at least reveal what he has found out. Yeah, so he's going to he's going to come out with the big scoop uh, that it was. Uh, I don't think it was Pentos. It was Volantis. Volantis, I think. Oh, uh, see, that would have yeah. been a big shock. Those classic Volantines. I mean, uh, Volantis, I think, is, uh, is, you know, as surprising. Yeah, and it's just a box ride away from Pentos anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's given given the scoop that the good masters of Astapor and the wise masters of Yunkai are responsible for the sons of the harpy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we are going to uh, get a message to uh, the, the masters. Uh, what is the message going to be like? Hey, knock it off. Hey, stop. Stop that. Mm. That's it. I think that's that's what they're they're planning. Uh, yeah. But if they want us, if they want them to, if we want them to hear us, we must speak back to them that they only speak one language. Uh, so Masande is basically advocating for uh, for violence. He all wanted, out war. Yeah, all out war. Uh, Jerry is thrilled about this, <laughs> um, but Tyrion has other ideas. Okay. All right. Tyrion's ideas are going to be bad, by the way, if I'm remembering right. Isn't he like, yeah, let's let's do uh, some. Let's very, talk to them. Some let's un- talk to them. Some yeah, unpopular let's... negotiations that almost go very, very poorly. Yes. Uh, let's let's uh, treaty with the slavers. Yeah, a continued descent into into uh, poor quality for for one Tyrion Lannister. As as we said a few uh, weeks ago, maybe even months at this point, the best of Tyrion Lannister is behind him at this point. Uh, what are you going to do? He's <laughs> over the hill. Yes. <laughs> over the horn hill. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's so right. W- let's go back to King's Landing. And in the Red Keep, uh, we see Kyburn. Uh, he's got away with uh, the little birds as well. Creepy. Very <laughs> creepy. This scene is so creeps. I don't like it very much. Yeah. These little boys who are like, Oh, Mr. Kyburn, we like you, but we prefer Lord Varys. He gave us little sweets. He called us his little 
birds and he gave us treats. And Kyabran's like, oh, funny that you should mention well, the sweets. Look what I've got, candied plums. And all of the little boys are like, oh, I guess I'll have a candy plum. It's not, it doesn't beat Varys' snickerdoodle cookies that he <laughs> give us, but we'll take those. You know, beggars can't be choose. <laughs> all right, so <laughs> Kyburn with the uh, little birds, and they, and they will loom large uh, by the end of the season. Oh, no, uh, yeah, totally. I, this was actually a cool scene uh in in retrospect and because that that moment in the in the light of the seven sequence at the end of season six where the birds are used to uh to kill Pycelle is so creepy it's so so creepy so i think to have this as sort of the bedrock for that scene of showing how kyburn manipulates these children and how he you know he uses their hunger and like kind of like grooms them in this really paternal way it's very unsettling and it's even even darker when you know that he is just like gonna unleash these children upon people later on yeah kyburn is really putting it out there like uh if if you do my bidding more candied plums for you children <laughs> oh god candied plums i gotta try one of these candied plums it's, it's i don't think ever had one they uh, drive but, they drive you to murder i mean isn't that a prune <laughs> I think that's more of like a a dehydrated plum is is, is the prune. I don't know. uh, I don't know if it's like the outright like candification of uh, of of the plum. I don't know. A prune is not worth killing for. I'll tell you that. A prune prune is good to prevent you from being killed, as we all know from watching Problem Child. But uh, I think uh, it's it's best used as a defensive measure. Also, with Michael Richards, (laughs) smiley pies. (laughs) Okay, so uh, we see Jamie and Cersei and uh, uh, Sir Robert Strong have shown up. (laughs) smiley pie it's unbelievable what is that doing here in this game of thrones podcast unbelievable (laughs) you Uh, (laughs) i'm trying to get back on track here having a hard time um yeah and jamie's like just like gonna be a total jerk to to sir gregor he's like what did you do does he does he speak does he even understand anything and sir gregor just like shoots jamie with being like hey just because I can't speak doesn't mean I don't have. Yeah, he feelings. can understand. He can understand you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, Cersei is you know uh, here to find out about uh, what's going on with these uh, little birds, and uh, she wants to plant some of these little birds everywhere. Which I don't really know if that's how it works. Like uh, I don't think that they send these kids to Dorne or to uh, Winterfell, right? Yeah, but with the promise of enough candied plums, you could send them anywhere. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but she is, you know, very focused on vengeance on her enemies. Uh, they're also talking about a potential trial by combat between a champion of the Faith Militant and also uh, Sir Robert Strong. Uh, we never get to that point, but th- that seems to be uh, a big part of uh, Cersei's defense strategy. Yeah, but there's so much hype behind 
Sir Gregor being involved in some kind of single combat fight uh, that you cannot imagine that the true Clegane Bowl doesn't come to pass at some point. Like, it absolutely has to at this point. I think even here, like, I'd completely forgotten that season six even leaned into the idea of there being a trial by combat at all, that this is something that they might have to do. Uh, just hearing that again in this episode just, like, further cemented for me that somewhere in the final six episodes of Game of Thrones, you're going to see Sir Robert Strong going head to head with Sandor Clegane. It just, it absolutely has to happen. I definitely believe it's coming, but I could see it way more on the battlefield as opposed to in some sort of a trial by combat, because I kind of feel like that uh, the institutions around Westeros are are falling. And I I can't imagine in what scenario we're going to stop down for a trial by combat. No, there's this now like um, there's this there's this big battle episode that's allegedly coming up in the final six episodes that uh, the people involved with the show have been really hyping like the big hype has been like there's going to be this battle that makes the battle of the bastards look very tame in comparison which is unimaginable to me Mm -hmm. um and you can imagine that like somewhere in the thick of this very layered story where there's tons of different action subplots happening simultaneously that's somewhere baked within that the cocaine bowl exists um but it absolutely has to happen there's just too much hype around it at this point Okay, so let's go check in at the small council meeting. And and this is actually a really good scene uh, where we have a a lot of fun characters here at the small council meeting. And we open on Picel complaining about stuff and and a classic Picel moment where he is talking about that Kyburn, how much he sucks. And then what is he even doing with uh, the mountain? And then those guys walk in and. And Pycelle just uh, stops in his tracks and I still maintain passes wind. No, he absolutely farts. He, <laughs> there's there's no question in my mind anymore that he farts. Uh, I don't know if I if I had already gotten to this conclusion on a subsequent watch of the episode, but certainly on this most recent watch of the episode, which I was doing with headphones on, mm-hmm. you you absolutely hear Maester Pycelle audibly farting. At the very <laughs> least, somebody in that room farted. Uh, you know, we could we could we could spend some time parsing through the possible suspects of who the perpetrator was. But somebody passed gas and it's not a question. It, you hear it. That is that is a fart. Somebody could try to pass that off as like they were moving their chair and it creaked on the floor and it just sounded like a no. fart. it's that in the closed captioning. That was how we originally got to this. Yeah, it's a fart. It's a fart. I don't understand why that's on the show. It's kind of uh, it, it makes it, it really makes zero impact. It's mm-hmm. not even kind of like a well-timed joke. Sort of the moment has already passed and he just like kind of like sneaks in a fart. It's like <laughs> Vern in Back to the Future scratching at himself and just like the background of that shot on the train. Like it doesn't you, you, need to be there today. It's legendary. It's legendary. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why this had to happen, but it definitely did. It absolutely <laughs> yeah. happened. There's no uh, Laurel and Yanni about this. This is a fart. My goal in life is to catch somebody in the act like uh, so badly that causes them like the shock of seeing me causes them to pass wing. <laughs> I feel like you'll achieve that goal someday. I hope so. I, I hope think so. you've got it. I think you've got it in you. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that the, the best chance that happening is like uh, like uh, walking into my uh, kids rooms when they're like, you know, jumping on the bed or like doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. And uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That is happening. That's happening at some point in their lifetime for sure. Yeah. All right. So Cersei and Jamie and uh, uh, Sir Robert Strong are going to, uh, you know, they're crashing the meeting like, hey, we're we're here. And yeah, J- Jamie like pulls up a chair, pops a squat AC Slater style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's happening? Uh, Lady Elena is here at the small council meeting, which is uh, not really exciting for Cersei to see. She's not a fan of any of the Tyrells. At least Mace is like a manipulatable idiot, you know, that she can she can work with. But Lady Elena is formidable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Lady Elena explains that she's here to deal with the queen's imprisonment. Yes, because Marjorie is still behind bars and she wants to she wants to figure this out. And Cersei, you are not the queen. Yeah. You're not married to the king. I know well, that this is confusing in your family. Yes, because Cersei's like after uh, Lady Olenna mentions about the queen's imprisonment. Uh, Cersei's like, oh, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning it. What a what an ordeal that was for me. I really yes. <laughs> thank you for thank you for addressing that. It's like, I'm not talking about you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Kevin Lannister is uh not thrilled to see Cersei either. Kevin Lannister stinks. He does? Yeah, it's just whatever. Does he die when the uh yes. Seth Baylor die, uh, blows up? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, he's he's toast. He's toast. I, I I didn't remember if he was there or not. He gets uh, the 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 death that Picel gets in uh on the show. Kevin Lannister gets a version of that in the book. Uh, mm. he, he gets like crossbow bolted in the gut by Varys and then Varys sicks the children on him. Uh, it's a it's a cool scene. I actually think that I ultimately like the way that it happens on the show a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. Cersei is uh, calling out Kevin Lannister about like, uh, hey, what's uh, what are we doing about, uh, you know, Marcella? Your, your blood, huh? And ultimately, Kevin's just like, hey, look, you know, uh, I, I don't like that you guys are crashing the meeting. We're going to leave here. We're going to we're going to move from here. And you you can't we can't force you to leave, but you can't force us to stay unless you're going to have the monster dude murder us on. So they all get up and they all leave. And I just don't understand why this didn't go full Sorkin in the meeting just like went through A the walk hallways. and talk. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, well, I guess that uh, we can't stop you from leaving, but you can't stop us from following you. Right. Exactly. Or did they just proceed to have the small council meeting then without the small council? Oh, well, it's not quite a small council meeting then, is it? <laughs> I don't know. They could have made a lot of decisions there without Kevin, without Pycel. Yeah, but who is going to enforce any of them? <laughs> well, or is the way that it works like you have to have the meeting in the, the small table. council meeting room? Mm-hmm. So like yeah. all anybody ever has to do to pass uh, law in King's Landing and Westeros is like make it into the small council meeting room and just like say your idea and then like slam a gavel on the table and that's it. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Like uh, if all of the people in Congress left con- the, you know, the Capitol and went somewhere else and then made a bunch of laws, but then other people who were not the Congress people went to the Congress and then also made a bunch of laws, which would be the actual laws. Uh, the laws made by Congress, even if it wasn't in the Capitol. Um, oh, look, I don't know. I okay. don't, don't. It's a good don't, question. It's a good I question. Know. I have no idea how anything works. We'll have anymore. to check the Constitution it's later all, on and see. It's all. It's all broken. See Everything's if they had broken. that contingency. Everything's so, broken. 
Um, let's talk about the High Sparrow, and he meets with Tommen, and Tommen is back to say, uh, when is my mom gonna get to see her daughter? Come on! Man, that's just like, you're so uncool. (laughs) Yeah, and so High Sparrow is able to really kind of turn Tommen around here. Oh, yeah, just twirling him around his finger like spaghetti on a fork. He's just got Tom in where he wants him. He's like, hey, could you just cool your jets, young man? Uh, Do you mind if I take a seat? My poor little feetzels. Ah, it's so hard being on my feetzels all day. Mm-hmm. And Tommen's like, okay, sure, take a seat. And they just talk about how his mom is kind of like not a great person and like, you know. But she loves Tommen and that's how we know about the mother from the seven. And that's how she uh, manifests herself through the mother's love for her children. And uh, it's like, oh, okay, Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so High Sparrow has got Tommen, you know, eating out of the palm of his hands. Yes, yeah. A bowl of brown uh, out of the bowl that is his hands. Yes. Some we of the brown slipping through the fingers. We're going to see Tom and High Sparrow on a different understanding then after this. Okay. Uh, from Tom and the High Sparrow, time to talk about the, the waif and Aria. And you know what? Time to see Aria get her ass beat uh, a little bit more. We haven't seen enough of that this season. <laughs> yes. Now, Josh, we got some complaints this week that uh, we were referring to the waif as the waif and not as Arya 2 in the rewatch. <laughs> oh, yeah, Arya 2. I forgot that that's <laughs> what we had called her. Uh, all right. We can change gears. We can shift course. That's easy enough. Beep, bop, boop, Arya 2. How many blows to the face with this staff could Arya take where she is like, you know, she is like a, like a little bit of, like a, of a bruise. Well, I mean, in fairness, can't she just like if her face gets completely bruised, can't she just like pull it off and put on a new Arya face that's not bruised? I don't think you can put on a new Arya face until Arya's original face has been taken off, right? Is that how it works? I thought that was how it worked. Oh, maybe. Well, maybe she maybe somewhere in between scenes, she took her own face off and then got like a new face mask made. And now she has unlimited Arya Stark faces. Mm hmm. Yeah. I don't know how many whacks to the face you could take uh, where and and still look like reasonable like Arya does. Yeah, I think that that's a fair question. Um, movie magic, man. What do you want? It's you know, the this is the this is the thing that we're complaining about with the Arya and Arya two scenes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like, so much. If I was whacking you in the face with a drumstick for uh, uh, days on end, like I think you, you would start to show a little bit more of the effects of that. Is it a chicken drumstick or a turkey <laughs> drumstick? Either one. Either, Either way, one. like yeah, yeah. I'm get like my skin is getting like oily and and yeah. and gross. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. So Arya versus Arya 2 and uh, the, you know, the waif is just, you know, she's pounding away. She's asking Arya questions about what's going on. Uh, I mean, interestingly, we do get some questions about the hound. Why, right, you know, right, what, right. With the list laying track for the comeback of Sandor Clegane later this season and hopefully laying track for some sort of reunion between Arya and the Hound before the end of this whole show. I think uh, that feels like a like a foregone conclusion to me as well at this mm-hmm. point. Now, 
ultimately, you know, she's going to be uh, quizzed. What's your name? My name is no one. But the, the like the scene culminates in that we see Aria block like one staff hit from the wave. And then the music really swells and the wave like walks away. We've seen Aria block the different, uh, you know, attempts that the wave has been making earlier and in previous episodes. I don't know what, you know, how she graduated. Yeah. Uh, by, I don't know, by being able to get under the waif skin without having to be surgical about it, perhaps. I don't know. Like we, they're like constantly like sparring and Arya is blocking them. And then the waif just goes to hit her one more time. And then Arya blocks it. And it's like, uh, the music like really swells and it's like, okay, I guess she did it. She did it. She finally did it. I'm so happy for her. Mm hmm. Okay, and so uh, Jack and Hagar asks Arya again, uh, you know, uh, if a girl tells me her name, I'll give her eyes back. And she's like, ah, nope, nope, not going to get me. I have no name. It's like, come on, what's your name? Yeah. Don't Um, have one. But then he gets her to drink the water. And then uh, and this water, we've seen other people die when they drink the water. But Arya drinks it. She gets her eyes back. Her blindness dies. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So Arya is back and she can see. Okay. Great. So mm-hmm. we're on track for the for the next step in the Arya becomes a faceless man storyline. So she's mm-hmm. going to she's on track for a for a hangout sesh with Lady Crane. Yeah. All right. Josh, let's cut to what's going on back at Winterfell and Ramsay and Lord Karstark are meeting with Small John. Yeah, Small John, Umber, uh, it's been a long time since we've even really thought about the Umbers, the great John Umber from season one who did not carry on past season one, which is still just a, a true crime of Game of Thrones because he was fantastic. His uh, his meat was bloody tough. Um, long long may he reign wherever he is, the great John. Um, but the Small John, really just a, a terrible dude. Bad guy. Not great. Yeah. Um can we stop down and talk about the great John and how uh, we saw one of the dire wolves bite his fingers off? And then he was like, <laughs> yes, yeah. it was amazing. It was amazing. It was fantastic. <laughs> the small John comes from great stock uh, and small John. Uh, didn't we already talk about small John in this episode? Uh, didn't, we talk, didn't we talk about him earlier? Uh, no, I'm confused. Sorry. Uh, but the small John here, small John Umber is just awful. <laughs> I remember there were a lot of theories about like, oh, is small John punking Ramsey? Is he secretly uh, plotting a great northern revenge against no. the Boltons because he refuses to kneel and refuses to kiss the ring? And does he have Rick on Stark because he's going to come up with some plan to blah, blah, blah? None of that ever happens it's just small john is as small john says he is he's just a bad dude who's uh who's he's leaning into the tide of the new north and it sucks and it's bad and it's terrible yeah ramsey has really you know uh changed the uh the paradigm here where it's like uh it used to be in the old north you would kneel and you would uh, you know pledge fealty is that is that what's the right word yeah yeah Yeah. swear your loyalty and and now it's like you just say like ah I'm with you. Yeah. And it's like, well, how do I know? Like, I, I guess you don't. But let's just, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah, that's basically what's going on here. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. And if I did, then I did. You know, what yeah. are you going to do? 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like uh, your, your dad pledged uh, that he was going to work with Ned Stark and then he killed him. So what does it even matter? Small John really dunking on Karstark, too. Uh, <laughs> it's just like he's putting his hand on Karstark's head as Karstark is like trying to charge at Small John and take swipes at his torso. And it's just yeah. not working. OK. Uh, yeah. Small John has a gift, and uh, he has a gift for Ramsey. Uh, Ramsey's like, oh, I hope it's a girl. Well, it's like, well, one is a girl. Uh, and it's Osha the Wildling. Hurrah! She's back! Mm-hmm. Osha's back. Rickon is here as well. Yes. Well, I, I like, so then the second bag comes off the head of the second prisoner, and Ramsey speaks for the audience, and he's like, Who's this? Yes. <laughs> Who, who's this? I've never, I've never seen this person before. The what great, is this? this is a new character. The Who great, is this? the great memes surrounding uh, uh, Rickon Stark and where is Rickon has now uh, digivolved into who is Rickon. Mm-hmm. And Small just says that's that's Rickon. Rickon's yeah. like, well, how, what? Rickon? No, uh, it can't be. And then, unfortunately, we see the head of Shaggy Dog. Ah. Uh, what a shame. Not good. Not good. Man, the direwolves really got really got decked on Game of Thrones. They got hosed. Just, yeah. yeah, it's not great. Anyway, welcome back, Rickon Stark. You're gonna be here for another two minutes or so. Yeah. All right. So let's check in back with John. You know, we opened with John and we're gonna close the episode with John. And so uh Ed comes in and tells John it's time. Come on, come on, come out, come out and see what we got going on out here. I hate this. I still don't like this. You hate I, it. I don't like this at all. I really don't. I think that um, John's whole arc had been about through season five of like, we have to come together. We have to fight the White Walkers. We need as many warm bodies as we can possibly get to fight the White Walkers. He believes in what he's doing. Everything he's doing is for the right reason. He gets killed for it. He comes back to life miraculously and his next course of action is just like petty vengeance rather hmm. than like rather than like sitting down across the table from Alistair Thorne and being like, hey, look, you you and I have had a rough go of it, man. And you you killed me and it worked and then it didn't work. And like now I'm alive. So you have to believe me that magical stuff is happening out here. You killed me and I'm still here. Can you please stop trying to kill me? Can you please just work with me? I could use you. There really are White Walkers north of the wall. Please just be cool. And then if Alistair Thorne isn't cool, then maybe hang him. But, like, you need Alistair Thorne. You need all of these guys. You're just killing them because you're being this petty little Lord Commander. You're killing Ollie. He's just a boy. He's a kid. And he was very righteously angry with you about the stuff. This is all just petty nonsense. Talk right. about vengeance. This I, is he- I hear you. I hear uh, what you're saying. Sorry. I'm uh, do we know that this was John's call? Was this Ed's call potentially? Because I kind of feel like that the lesson that John should have, you know, taken away from this is that you should go with, you know, if if the people feel strongly about something, then you can say, no, you guys are wrong. I know what's right. We're going to do it my way. But you end up being stabbed by a bunch of people. And if so, 
if Ed and the other guys who are left from the Night's Watch feel like, hey, that's it. Thorne is, uh, you know, this was treasonous what he did. We cannot forgive him. Then if John says, no, guys, I thought about this. Let him go. Let him go. And then everybody's like, you know what? Let's kill him. Let's kill Jon Snow. What is, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, it certainly seems like Jon Snow is already like massively checked out of the job, <laughs> right? Like, you know, he turned in his application. He got out of the night's watch on early decision and he's just coasting until, you know, May rolls around. Uh, and he's just like he's just going through the motions at this point. So that might be possible that like Ed was just like, hey, can we do this? And John's like, yeah, sure. Whatever you want. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Now. Everybody uh, has some last words for Jon Snow. I do think they fall on deaf ears. Uh, So uh, we get some final requests from uh, the men who were being uh, uh, hung. Um, You know, uh, the first guy says to Jon, you shouldn't be alive. It's not right. Well, yeah, neither was killing me. So, I mean, (laughs) it's for even. See, like it's stuff like this where like there's there is such a nonchalance about the whole Jon Snow being killed and brought back to life that I find almost intolerable. <laughs> like like you shouldn't be here. It's well, not right. I am. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't kill me, bro. You know, like I don't, they're not going to talk to Sansa about this stuff, really. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just like it's so goofy. It's very goofy. Yeah, it's just they never really justified any of this. Then the second guy is like, uh, um, my mother is still living at White Harbor. Could you could you write to her? Could you just tell her I died fighting the wildlings? Johnson, not going to do that. I'm not. I'm not not even going to acknowledge that. I I didn't even have have a pen and wrote down your mom's address. Yeah, I'm not even going to talk to you about that. Nobody's doing that. It's such a ridiculous request. And obviously we're not going to do that. No way. No, no, no chance. No shot. Sorry, uh, buddy. Then Thorne tells John, I had a choice, Lord Commander, betray you or betray the Night's Watch. You brought an army of wildlings into our lands, an army of murderers and raiders. And if I raiders. do it all again, I know knowing where I'd end up, I pray I'd made the right choice again. Yes. Yes, oh God. R.I.P. Alistair Thorne, Lord Commander. Yeah. <laughs> In a great voice, Alistair Thorne. He does. He does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, he's, you know, has no remorse here at the end. Um, Thorne says, uh, I fought, I lost, now I rest. But you, Lord Snow, you'll be fighting their battles forever. Who? The Wildlings? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, that sounds miserable. And mm-hmm. I also don't think that the Thorne prophecy will come true. Yeah, I mean, who do the wildlings have issues with? The Night's Watch? Yeah, and forever is a mm-hmm. long time. Eventually, this right. man is not going to be doing that. Maybe it's like a big like uh, a boost for Jon Snow, though. Like being like, don't worry. Like, you're going to be alive for a long time, man. Like, you've got this. Like, is this like actually like a backhanded compliment that he's trying to, to pay Jon Snow? Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> and then finally, we get to Ollie. And... Ollie has the worst stink face I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. I, uh, I really feel like if Ollie would have been like, John, oh my God, I made a terrible mistake. Uh, you know, I, I think that John would have been like, all right, all right, come down, Ollie. All right, we'll give you, you can have a second chance. But Ollie of the four of them is the most like he's just, he would, he would stab Jon Snow again. Yeah, I mean, the whole this whole thing is so stupid. 
This whole thing's so dumb because like it just it, it all plays very petty. You know, it all plays just like for for me anyway. Like it plays like Ali like is is just like so frustrated. It's like I made my move and you had an idol nullifier. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, this is not fair. It's just not cool. No one told me that you could come back from the dead. Uh, and John says, like, sorry, buddy. Like, I'm super mad at you for having stabbed me in the heart. And I'm absolutely going to hang you now. Um, and it's just like it feel like it makes John look so petty, like he can't get over it. Like he has to kill a kid because a kid killed him. Like, I just think the the whole thing just feels just feels dumb. It just does not feel feel good to me. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I just don't like it. I don't like it, Rob. Yeah. All right. So that's it. That is Oathbreaker. Uh, John Snow's going to walk off and tell Ed, you have the bridge. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Here's the cape. Do what you want with it. It's a cool cape. You could burn it, but I think you should wear it because it's going to look great on you. Uh, and I'm I'm out. I died and came back to life specifically for this moment right here where I am calling it on the Night's Watch. And who's mm. going to stop me? Who's going to stop me? Yeah. No one. No one is. No one is. And so uh, now we know that John is what? The 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch here? That's right. That's correct. Okay. So Ed is 999. <laughs> yes. 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 Indeed. Indeed he is. Yeah. Okay. And... Is is that how it works? Because like, like we've seen votes. Is is it like? Do you serve like a four year term as the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, and then if you, if something happens, you could like abdicate it to? No, I your think you get elected and you're vice there and commander of the Night's Watch. You're there until you're dead, or if there's like if you step down, or if you're impeached, maybe is a possibility. I don't think that there's term limits on Lord Commanders. Hmm. Okay. And so, uh, I just don't know, like, how did we get onto a vote from the uh, last one? So, you know, uh, we didn't have anybody. And then, like, why? Why was like? It feels like that there's two different types of. Uh, so that well, there's probably going to have to be a vote here. Like, you know, I think it's the situation is uh, Ed is acting Lord Commander at the moment. I don't think that he is elected Lord Commander. It's sort of how Alistair Thorne was acting Lord Commander after Lord Commander. Mormont died uh, and then they had to have the vote so a vote will have to take place but the Night's Watch they got their hands full right now there's a lot going on that I think everyone's like I don't want to vote again oh that sounds exhausting I don't want to do that right now <laughs> Ed, Ed can just have the job for a while like we're such a mess anyway just give it to Ed it's fine he looks yeah. good in the cape he looks good in the cape okay all right well then that's gonna do it for the Oathbreaker yeah that's it what do we have coming up in episode number four of season six? It's the book of the stranger. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's the name of the episode. All right. So we'll see. And what do you have uh, to tease us with? So in the book of the stranger, we are going to see a heartfelt reunion between Jon Snow and Sansa Stark. I'm very excited for that moment. I think that's going to be great. I believe that we are going to get a sweet Robin sighting. So Uh, that's exciting. I saw him in the uh, coming attraction. Yeah, sweet Robin's coming back. Theon is going to get back to Pike. Uh, Hooray and Haru. 
Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Uh, and then Daenerys is going to torch the Broth Rocky, and okay. that's going to be a very satisfying thing to see happen. It's exciting. Okay. All right. So. so we've got that uh, coming up uh, next week. Uh, Josh, what else are you working on on post show recaps right now? We're doing some uh, some 2018 in review podcast specials here on Post Show Recaps. Uh, we have one that is posted already. The great Antonio Mazzaro and I, we are looking back on a bunch of shows that we would have loved to have podcasted about over the year and just were not able to for whatever reason. So we're playing catch up now. We've already talked about Homecoming, Amazon's Homecoming. That podcast is available for you. And we are getting together soon to record our podcast about Netflix's Maniac, the Jonah Hill and Emma Stone starring show, which was a ton of fun so keep an eye out for all that stuff postshowrecaps.com slash itunes is our general feed where you will be able to find all of those delightful little shows for you all right thank you guys so much uh had a lot of fun today josh oh it was great we had a good time yeah uh, smiley pies yeah i wonder if that there is a corollary of the worst the game of thrones episode the the, the better the podcast and it's not that these are like bad episodes of Game of Thrones. There's just some stuff that the writing is just not lining up. And then some stories that are just like obviously slow. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. Well, there's some things that I think in the moment that we had like faith in like, OK, uh, I don't get it right now, but this is going somewhere. This is yeah. going to be this is a means to an end to we are getting somewhere with this. this may not seem important now, but it will be important later. And now it's later. And we say, no, that was not important. Still six episodes to go where like maybe some of this stuff is going to be justified. But we are at that point in the rewatch where we just don't have that clarity yeah. yet. So, you know, we're kind of just like uh, kind of treading water to a certain degree. <laughs> right. It's feeling like maybe season six might have been, you know, seven episodes of content in a uh, 10 episode package. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Okay, all right. It's interesting because I think like season seven is uh, 10 episodes episodes of content content in a seven (laughs) episode package. Yeah, look, look, pacing. They got it. They got it wrong. Maybe uh, on the prequels, they'll uh, get it right. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 